With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to the Fantasy Doctors Major League Baseball Podcast, where we use our expertise in the world of sports, as well as medicine, to bring you the most up-to-date injury news and analysis. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Fantasy Doctors Major League Baseball Podcast. My name is Brandon Bowers. I am a doctor of physical therapy. And joining me, as always, is my co-host, Dr. Physical Therapy Drew Ingalls. Uh, this evening, we're going to be joined by a couple of guests later on in the podcast, Tommy John and Dr. Tommy John, to talk about the youth sports injury epidemic, as well as Dr. Tommy John's new book, Minimize Injury and Maximize Performance. Drew, we've got a, a nice lineup here tonight with some of the usual stuff and then an exciting interview here coming up a little bit later. Should be fun. Can you believe we're halfway through the season? You know, it, it's crazy. I mean, you, you blink and then, I mean, we're we're longer than halfway into the season because this all-star break isn't really at the midway point. So, I mean, it's just flying right by. It has. Now, before we get started here, uh, we, we don't typically do this on, on, on our shows, but we're going to take a brief moment. I'd like to dedicate this show to my... My late grandfather, who passed away just last Friday, uh, he really kind of instilled in me the, the, the love of the game for the game of baseball, my passion for the Cleveland Indians. So uh, going forward here with the show, we're just going to de- dedicate the show for him as it kind of hits, hits home for me, uh, but he kind of brought my love for the game of baseball. Jumping in here to uh, the new injuries on Episode 9, uh, we're going to start here uh, with Gerard Dyson with the Arizona Diamondbacks dealing with a groin strain. So Dyson, the outfielder for the Diamondbacks, he injured the groin uh, back in the 4th of July, and uh, MRI didn't show any significant structural damage. Uh, there's potential for some some scar tissue from his hernia surgery from last season, but uh, kind of look for him to return to a bench role with A.J. Pollock coming back uh, from his DL stint, and then Steve Souza coming back pretty soon here from his DL stint. Um, and the, so we're looking at probably a grade one strain. So probably about two to four weeks for him to return. And he might he might do a triple A stunt uh, for a rehab game. Yeah, those groins can be a little tricky. Obviously, Gary Sanchez, we talked about in a previous episode, also was dealing with a groin strain. It's just they're just not comfortable injuries and they can certainly nag uh, if not managed properly. Mm-hmm. Moving out east to Aroldis Chapman for the, with the New York Yankees dealing with some knee tendonitis. He's been dealing with this issue since early May. I mean, the team hasn't provided a specific tendon that he's having issues with, but you got the big old patellar tendon that sits on, on the front of the knee. So, I mean, that could be where, what's giving him trouble. He opted out of participating in the All-Star game, which was just a couple nights ago as we record this here on July 19th. Uh, he's continued to pitch. Uh, through the tendonitis, they don't believe this is going to be a DL stint type situation. Uh, the Yankees just have it on their radar. They haven't seen much improvement. Uh, he's had the same level of discomfort since this started in early May. Uh, so something that could plague 
Chapman throughout the rest of the season, but as of right now, not something that's going to require a stint on the disabled list. So keep an eye on, on, on Chapman's velocity and his effectiveness. If that starts to falter and give him some trouble, then, I mean, there is potential. He, he, he may, need, may need to be placed on the DL, but right now it's not looking like that's the case here for Chapman and the Yankees. You've had some experience with your Cleveland Indians, specifically Andrew Miller, uh, with his knee. I believe he's had some patellar issues. Uh, am, I, am I right there, Brandon? Yeah, Miller dealt with a patellar tendonitis at the end of last season. Now again this mm-hmm. year, and it's, I mean, it's it's just not a, a very typical baseball injury. I mean, you typically see this more in jumpers and, and basketball players and volleyball players. So when it crops up in baseball players, as it as it's been a problem for for Miller and the Indians. Sometimes this can linger and really cause some trouble. Definitely. Staying in the AL East, uh, we're going to jump on over here to Christian Vasquez dealing with a broken pinky finger. So he broke his pinky sliding to second base on July the 7th. Initially, they were thinking maybe two to three weeks uh, is, a, is a close fracture, but they ended up opting for surgery. So he's going to be out for six to eight weeks. So with with the Boston situation vying for the wild card and potential AL East, looking at Sandy Leone probably filling his spot, and they might make a trade uh, just so that they can get by by the at least by the rest of the regular season, and then there's a potential for Vasquez to return for the playoffs and and maybe just slightly before the playoffs. Yeah, so I mean, hopefully, I mean, with the pinky finger, we we don't expect to see long-term implications here. So hopefully he gets this thing healed up and then can come back and, and contribute here for the Sox. Uh, going back out west to Yasiel Pui with the Los Angeles Dodgers, dealing with an intercostal strain, essentially here an oblique strain. He was placed on the sample list back on July 9th. The team really hasn't provided any formal update uh, as of um, as of July 19th. Uh, that's today. Uh, the, the, the timetable for this injury is going to vary based on severity. Uh, but the team, like I said, hasn't given any kind of formal update. So this could be anywhere from two weeks on the short end, six weeks in the long end. Back out to the East Coast, Drew, Sean Doolittle for the Washington Nationals. What can you tell us about his foot issue that he's been having? So Sean Doolittle, the closer for the Washington Nationals, has been dealing with a strained toe starting off on July the 7th. MRI didn't re- reveal any significant damage. He has began throwing. Um, you know, he's been stellar. He you know, was uh, was elected to the All-Star game, obviously had to sit out 22 saves to start off uh, the first part of the year. Uh, so he should be back, um, depending on how these these bullpen sessions go, will determine how quickly he can, can progress. Um, so we're probably looking at another week for him to uh, get back to the uh, get back to the field. I mean, he, he's he was a good pickup for the Nationals here. I mean. He, at, at the back end of that bullpen, he, he's been rock solid. So, mm-hmm. again, hopefully something that doesn't plague him uh, too much longer in the season. Mm-hmm. Lonnie Chisenhall from my Cleveland Indians is dealing with, yet again, another calf injury. Uh, he dealt with a calf injury at the end of the last season that sidelined him for seven weeks. And then that same injury cropped up again at the beginning of this season and had him on the shelf again for another seven weeks. So, here we are yet again, uh, beating a dead horse with Lonnie Chisenhall and a calf injury. The team expects him to miss eight to ten weeks this go-round. He's dealing with a grade three soleus strain, so a complete tear mm. of the soleus muscle, uh, which is kind of in the lower portion of the calf. So calf, obviously, a very important muscle when it comes to running, cutting, and jumping. Uh, so a tough blow here for Chisinau as he has not been able to be very reliable for the Indians in terms of his health. Now, no I mean, surgery? the good news, Drew, is 
no surgery. Uh, they're going conservative at, at, at this juncture and just trying to go through the rehab and, and see what that does for him. Um, when he's on the field, he, he, he contributes at a high level and is able to be effective, but the problem is, is he can't stay healthy to stay on the field. Uh, this occurred back on July 2nd, so eight to ten weeks. It's uh, kind of September-ish, uh, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't count on him on contributing at a high level uh, here the rest mm-hmm. of the season. With Addison Reed here in Minnesota, he's been dealing with some elbow impingement. Uh, Drew, do you have any additional insight here for the listeners on Addison Reed? I do. So he's a reliever for the Minnesota Twins. He's struggled uh, throughout most of the season so far. Um, diagnosed with triceps tendonitis, so essentially where the triceps attaches down near the elbow, it's becoming irritated and inflamed. Not sure by what, but nonetheless, they injected him with some cortisone on the 15th of July to hopefully calm down some of the inflammation that's going on. So we're looking at a potential time frame of two to four weeks for him to return. And obviously you start slow and then there's a potential for a rehab stent for him to kind of get things back under control. Moving back out to Boston and Rafael Devers dealing with shoulder inflammation. He was placed on the disabled list on July 12th, retroactive to the day before July 11th. Good news for Devers is that the eye that they had of his shoulder revealed no structural structural damage. So his rotator cuff, his biceps, his labrum was all looking good. Uh, he hopes to return on July 21st when he's officially eligible to come off the disabled list. He hasn't hit any setbacks thus far. It doesn't sound like they're going to send him out on rehab. So good news here moving forward for Devers. Back to the Twins, Drew, with Logan Morrison. He's been dealing with some hip impingement. What can you tell us? Not a whole lot. Uh, I haven't seen any uh, you know, MRIs ordered or anything like that. This can be a tricky uh, issue for, for players. Uh, if we look back to last year, Andrew Triggs, he ended up opting for surgery, uh, so I don't know the extent of it. Morrison has really struggled this year. He's only been batting 193 after a phenomenal season last year with the Rays hitting 38 home runs. So I don't have a clear timetable from him. Um, uh, so I, I can't really just – I can't make up any timetable, but uh, – you know, we're just going to kind of have to monitor the situation, see if we get any MRIs ordered, and pending those, we'll determine where the Twins organization is going to rehab or potential shut it down for the season. You know, it's a tough injury, Drew. I mean, you look at the guy switching sports here in Isaiah Thomas. I mean, he dealt with this injury, and he went the conservative route, and it still caused problems, and they ended up needing surgery anyway. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's tough because sometimes rehab just doesn't cut it. Oh, yeah. And I mean, this type of procedure, you know, if we're talking labral issues, uh, you know, impingement issues at the hip, I mean, this surgery is booming. And, you know, it, it just was previously rehabbed. Uh, and, and now a lot of people are opting for surgery. And I suppose there's pros and cons of both. Uh, but we're just going to have to wait and see uh, uh, with Mr. Morrison. Looking here at a surefire surgical case, unfortunate news for the Angels as their injury woes continue. Garrett Richards dealing with a UCL tear and is is slated to undergo Tommy John's surgery. Uh, Again, another plug here coming up here in just a little bit. We're going to be joined by Dr. Tommy John and Tommy John to chat about uh, the youth sports epidemic, injury epidemic rather, as well as Dr. John's new book. So uh, again, Tommy John's surgery here for Garrett Richards. He's going to miss all of 2018 and 2019 as a result of this injury to repair his torn ulnar collateral ligament. It's a tough blow. As we get to later in the show, we'll talk about 
the injury bug and who, who it's borrowed the most. And the Angels are certainly right up there with the best of mm-hmm. them this season. So well wishes here for Richards as he gears up to have Tommy John and is going to go through kind of a brutal recovery period. Typical return to play timetable is usually around 12 to 18 months. So Richard done the shelf for this year and next year, and we'll see him again in 2020. Back to the AL East and Marco Estrada for the Blue Blue Jays Drew dealing with a gluteal strain. So he left the game on uh, July the 3rd. He only faced three batters against the Mets, uh, and he left with some hip soreness. MRI revealed a mild glute strain, so we're looking at probably grade one strain, which would you know make that timetable about two to four weeks. He has started playing catch. He threw a bullpen session yesterday. However, it didn't go so hot, so they're going to push back his start from this Saturday to probably sometime next week. And they, uh, the Toronto Blue Jays haven't announced who's going to start that game, so probably someone being called up from AAA. You think he's going to have any long-term issues with this type of injury? I mean, sure, there's always a potential for it. Um, but since it's a grade one, the likelihood is, I would say, low. Um, you know, looking at him in relationship to the grand scheme of things, he is a bit older compared to what we would call young in the sport of baseball. So, I mean, that certainly could play a role. But in all likelihood, I don't believe so. So, I mean, that's good news here for Estrada and the Blue Jays. Albert Pujols for the Angels. For some reason uh, on our script, I still have him listed as playing as for, for St. Louis and the Cardinals. Uh, I'm, a few, I'm a few years behind there, but yes, he is playing for the Angels. Uh, he's dealing with some knee inflammation. It's his left knee. He was placed on the disabled list on July 13th. He received a platelet-rich plasma injection. The Angels don't seem to be too concerned here. He's expected to return following the completion of his 10-day DL stint. He's getting up there in age, again, for, for, for the game of baseball. He's 38. Um, so he's got a lot of miles on those legs. So to have some wear and tear and inflammation in that knee isn't surprising. But, again, the team doesn't seem too concerned here moving forward with pool holes. One last individual here in our new injury segment, uh, Kevin Pillar for the Toronto Blue Jays again, with dealing with an SC joint sprain. Yeah, so the gold glover uh, for the Blue Jays was diving for a ball. What what else would you expect? And he came up grabbing essentially his collarbone. So the SC joint is where the collarbone meets with the sternum or the, the breastbone. Um, and so they, they diagnosed him with a sprain. I'm not sure the severity, but they're listing him out four to six weeks. And I would say that's, I would say, probably conservative. Um Last year, Alex Wood, the pitcher for the Dodgers, he dealt with some SC inflammation, and that kind of lingered throughout the year. Obviously, we're talking about two different positions, but um, you know, with Toronto potentially, well, more than likely not competing for a wild card spot, um, they might want to be conservative uh, and hold them out a bit longer if needed. I mean, certainly the Blue Jays dodged a bullet here because. Uh, that it's just a sprain. If the the clavicle or the collarbone were to fracture, that could certainly lengthen uh, his return to play timetable. And he, even more so, if he gets kind of a posterior directed break of that clavicle and it heads towards the lung, that's that's a medical emergency and mm-hmm. not a good situation. So, yeah, uh, def- good news for Pilar and the Blue Jays that it was just a sprain, Drew. Definitely, dodge the bullet. All right, so we're going to wrap up here the the new injuries portion, and we're going to head right on into um, chatting with Dr. Tommy John and Tommy John. 
And here we are now with a, a very nice treat here on the, on the Fantasy Doctors Major League Baseball podcast, our, our very first ever interview here on the show. And we're very happy to be joined by Tommy John, a former major leaguer, and Dr. Chami, Tommy John, his son, who's a doctor of chiropractic medicine. Uh, we're, we're here chatting tonight about uh, Dr. Chami John's new book, uh, Minimize Injury and Maximize Performance, as well as the Youth Injury Epidemic. So, uh, Tommy and Dr. Chami John, welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us on. Thanks, guys. We appreciate it. Drew, I'll let you kick things off here if you want to get us started here with a couple questions, uh, and we'll kind of dive right in. I had a question about, you know, to Tommy uh, in regards to um, even before your professional career, some of the, you know, maybe some of the injuries that you had growing up, you know, in your childhood, uh, maybe shoulder or elbow, and, and kind of talk about your, your past experiences with that. Um, broken bones, broken wrists, sliding, uh, uh, my elbow, you know, I hurt my elbow the first time going from 46 feet little league distance to 60 feet, six inches when I was 13. And so, um, I never pitched in my 13 year old year in Babe Ruth league. So I took that up. I was, I I played first base and, um, you know, I came back 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and I pitched and had no, no troubles. And, uh, you know, I first started to experience elbow problems at the end of 62 and then all during 63. And, um, because I had never really pitched on three days rest. And I, I just, I really think that, you know, that my arm got tired, that we had no coaches. When when I was in the minor leagues, we had no coaches, uh, nobody to say, this is what you do. This is what you run. This is, there was no weightlifting. There was none of that stuff. And um, we had a manager and the manager was your coach, your guardian, your priest. Uh, he was everything. And, uh, you know, that's, that's just the way baseball was back in 61, 62, 63, 64. So definitely a little different than, than what we're exposed to today. Um, but in a way, not so different because of, of how frequently I suppose these kids now are, are, are playing year round and, and not really giving themselves a break. Well, that's the thing. I, I talked to a group uh, today <laughs> was at a retirement center, which is probably good for me. Um, but I told him, I said, uh, you know, when I was growing up, I played baseball when it was baseball season. And when baseball season was over, I played basketball. And mm -hmm. when you come from Indiana, if you didn't play basketball, you were a communist. And uh, <laughs> they would, uh, they would look at you uh, askant. But, um, um, you know, that's what we did. And nobody told us, nobody told us what to do or, or my dad, uh, back then we had one baseball game a week. We had one baseball game a week. I'm sorry. That's my dog barking at a butterfly on the window. But, um, actually it's Arnold Palmer. I have two dogs, Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicholas. 
And um, well, there you go. But uh, yeah, that that tells you where my head is. Uh, but no, we we had one baseball game a week, and if you wanted to watch baseball, uh, you get Saturday. You would watch let's uh, watch Pee Wee Reese and Dizzy Dean, or Buddy Blattner and Dizzy Dean, and you would watch the game, one game. That that was it. And sometimes I think that might might not be as bad as what people think. You know, oh my God, you had no baseball, you didn't. Have, no, but we didn't learn any bad things. We didn't overuse and all that. It's just, you know, I, I think I, I, I saw a thing on Facebook and it says what baseball, you know, they're talking about putting headphones on the ball players at the all-star game, you know, and this guy was chirping. He didn't think it's right. It's a baseball game. No, it's not. It's an exhibition. It's not a baseball game. If it was a baseball game, they would be paying the guys. The winning team would get ten, fifteen thousand dollars a man. Losing team gets nothing. Then it becomes a baseball game. But they're out there now to entertain the fans uh, at the ballpark, at home on TV, around the world, and all that. They're there to sell tickets, to sell uh, sweatshirts, hats, and all that stuff. And uh, you know that that's. That's baseball in uh, 2000 and, uh, 2018. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly been, obviously, a shift from where baseball was when, when you were playing in, term, in terms of what it was then and what it is now. Uh, so, I mean, we, we hear all this stuff over the past couple of years of trying to keep fans engaged, and I think that's one of the ways that they're trying to do it. Uh, is do these different things in exhibitions at the All-Star Game to keep fans in, engaged. Uh, I mean, we, we see all this stuff about pace of play and trying to speed that up. Um, I'm, I'm a baseball tra- traditionalist in its truest form, so, I mean, I like the game as it is, but it's the unfortunate nature of the beast that if you're going to keep people engaged and kind of drive uh, kind of new fans coming to the game, that, that some of these changes and keeping the fans engaged has had to happen, unfortunately. Well, uh, back when I pitched, they had, uh, I forget who the commissioner was then, um, but we had, uh, see, back then, the commissioner did not have as much power as the commission does now. You had league presidents. They controlled their leagues, and then, uh, you know, I'm sure they got their marching orders uh, with, uh, from Billy um, Coon and all these people, but uh, they presidents of the league were the ones that so anyhow pace of play is that oh, i can tell you right now there's one quick way to speed up the game of baseball tell the umpires to cut down the strike zone that they have call strikes if you call strikes batters will swing the bats batters swing the bats they'll be hits home runs but they'll be out and uh and uh, it's, you know, plus pitchers, I, I don't know if they can be taught or whatever, but um, strike one, strike one, throw strike one. It's, uh, it's the most hittable pitch in the game statistically, but uh, it gets you, as a pitcher, it gets you out in front to where you can start using other pitches and other parts of the plate. but. 
pitchers are afraid to throw strikes, and sometimes I don't think they can throw a strike. I, I think that, that you know you you watch them throw, and you you can't miss a strike zone as much and as far as these guys miss it. Speaking of a couple different pitches, Tommy, you you I believe utilize a sinker and curveball. Do you think that played a role post-op after after that surgery? Because you were able to pitch so long and effectively. Did I what now? Do you feel like Yeah, I two pitches my entire career. Mm-hmm. Sinker curveball. Do you feel like those pitches in particular helped you? post-op, uh, you know, after surgery in, in, in regards to the longevity of your career? I don't know. I would throw, um, if I'm throwing fastballs and I'm getting them out, I keep throwing fastballs. And uh, if I'm not, uh, I go to the curveball. And if I'm not getting that over the plate, then it's going to be a short night. Yeah. <laughs> I want to shift gears here a little bit and, and toss a question at you, Dr. John, uh, talking a little bit about your book here, Minimize Injury, Maximize Performance. Again, we're fortunate this evening to be joined with Dr. Tommy John and, and former major leaguer Tommy John here on the MLB Fantasy Doctors Major League Baseball podcast. Uh, you kind of talk about uh, four steps and kind of four steps to the process here. I've, I've had a chance to read through the beginning of the book. I haven't gotten through the whole thing just yet, but the steps that you kind of discuss are, are rethink, replenish, rebuild, and recover. I just want you to elaborate a, a little bit on why you feel this approach is effective and how you use it in clinical practice. Sure. So everybody's looking for the single finger to put in the dam for the baseball injuries, the NBA injuries, the every epidemic that we've got, everyone's looking for that single thing. It's mechanics, it's pitch counts, it's helmets, it's how we tackle. Unfortunately, the dam's overflowing. So the solution is going to have to be multifaceted. And so what I've seen in over 17 years of me working with everybody on the spectrum of being is that when you put all these things together, they all play off each other. No one thing is more important than the other. And so it it really was, uh, I'm trying to empower and give back the power back to where it belongs, not in an organization, not in a doctor, not in a a trainer or specialist, but in the in the homes, in the, with the parents and the coaches at these homes in our youth. So now, if we start with rethink, that'll get everybody to sit and look at themselves in the mirror and, and just realize. I mean, every step process to cut addiction or some sort of bad habit, you have to base your why. You have to admit that you have a problem and that whatever you're doing is not working. And so that's how I get a lot of people on board with, with what I do in my practice is as soon as they walk in, I get them to admit, is what you're doing working? And more times than not, they laugh and they're like, well, no. And I'm like, okay, then we got we to change something because everything I'm about to tell you is might be the opposite of what you've been doing. And that's what we got in America now is we're trying to breed these super, super youth athletes. And we, we are, we're just drawing out their potential earlier on. No, no better than they would have been had they developed properly, but we have very successful elite youth, but very dysfunctional teens and adults and no human can sustain the way we're burning because we're just not doing it right. So we have to rethink that whole process and admit that how we're going about raising our youth athletes is, is incorrect. Replenish. Bringing back foods that can rot, bringing back nourishment back into our kids, into our athletes, because believe it or not, and I use these terms, they're paradoxical in nature, we're overfed and malnourished. 
we got food available to us at all times. First time in history, we got food or food-like substance available. Now we have to make these decisions. We have to make these decisions um, to nourish ourselves. And that, those, that nourishment, the foods we eat, are the building blocks of life. Are, are not just sports, but a developing youth needs nutrients to grow into a, an adult human let alone recover from 85 pitches on a Sunday or play five games on a weekend or play 89 soccer games in a season. So replenish was one of the important ones because it's going to allow the fuel and recovery materials for the builder to rebuild, which is the next section here. And the rebuild section is based on kind of like the philosophy of what long-term athletic development was. I get all my training from watching babies. If you think about it, when we're our greatest training results in our lives are from zero to two years old. We went from partially paralyzed to walking and skipping and sitting upright and using our hands in a year. That's phenomenal. We squat, we deadlift, we brace, we crawled, everything self-taught. So we're going back to that rebuilding process of what we did when we were babies. It was thousands of repetitions all day, every day. Rehab, so to speak, doing three days a week, a baby would laugh at that. My dad would laugh at that with what we've got as far as the frequency of what it takes to prepare, let alone come back from an injury. So now we got mm. the rebuild process based on this long-term athletic development, kind of how we, we primitively kind of did things and move, basically just teach the body how to absorb and create force because that's all sports are, just movements and force. But the American training paradigm of bigger, faster, stronger, we load this poor foundation of a pyramid with, with uh, you know, we're, we're not moving real well, but we resist it with the strength and conditioning model in America. And when you load a poor movement, you're just ingraining error. So it's like all these athletes are going into training systems asking for their names to be spelled right. Teach me how to spell my name right. And what we've got is these training systems just getting the athletes to press their name harder into the paper, but it's still wrong. So they're just ingraining just error upon error upon error. And we can't sustain that. No human can sustain that. So that's what we're seeing. Now, the last part is recovery. And we can only train what we can recover from. We can only do what we can recover from. If you don't, I say this to my tennis players all the time, because I got a lot of tennis players down here in uh, Southern California. And I said, if we can get your body in a position to be able to recover more efficiently than the guy across the net, that means in between every serve, in between every point, you just raised your level. So if all things equal, you have more in the tank to apply to kick that person's butt versus somebody else. And that's how we go about it. So it's, it's the magic is in, it, it's like the music between the notes. Every training session, every time my dad would do 2,500 shoulder repetitions and throw off a mound every day. The music was in between not those times, but after when the body would lock that stuff into memory. And it would build itself up so the next adaptation that would come on, the next stimulus, it could handle it. So that four-step process, all of them playing off each other, will provide, I would hope, guys, that parents would make decisions based on the health of their children. But let's just say there's even some that are like, yeah, 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 health's important, but I want performance. I want, the, I want a college athlete or a pro athlete. Even that, if that's your priority, this is still the way to go about it. So it covers all bases. You just have to apply, and that's going to be the hardest part for all of us, including, you know, everybody on this call. 
You know, Dr. John, you talked about getting the parents involved and getting them to buy in. Do you, I mean, is this something, I mean, we, we experience it on our side of things in the PT world. Sometimes it's difficult to get parents and even the young athlete to buy into the process. Is that something that you struggle with? And kind of how do you combat that parent or, or that athlete that doesn't want to buy into the game plan? 100%. And I, I, I try to, everybody that walks through my door, I have to have the art of being able to deliver material digestible to that person's intellect or their, their personality. So I have to be able to, I, I wish we could just like blanket it, but how they receive the information, if I can connect, they're so, so quick to, again, not want to change or to get the okay from me. Well, if we get the okay from Dr. Tommy that he said that, we don't have to rest. We can just move on. We only have to rest like 10 days and then we can play the next tournament. They're, all, they're just looking for, you know, somebody else to tell them what they want, not give them what they need. And that's, that's the hardest part. And that's what I love about the book is that every time I do a talk and I talk to the coaches or the other parents, they're like, you know, the parents that need to hear this didn't show up tonight. And there is, there is a little bit of this you know, guilt. There's a lot of guilt that parents are feeling. And I've, I've had some confide in me and tell me about this. And I, I 100%, I hug them. You know, I'm like, I, no doubt. It's, it's got to be the hardest thing in the world to raise a kid, especially now in the, in the world of sports. But that's what I love about the book is that they can buy it and read it in the privacy of their home or read it at their own pace or apply these things together as a family. They don't have to publicly go out and you know, make a statement where I'm, I'm admitting that I really don't know what's going on because my 10 year old's been concussed and has stress fractures in their spine already. So it's one of those things that it's a hurdle. We're all going to have to keep, keep battling. I would hope the best changes come from when you hit rock bottom. <laughs> I would hope we don't have to see these kids hit rock bottom because the stuff I'm seeing, the stuff you guys are seeing, is, is grotesque and horrific already. I can't imagine it getting worse, but unfortunately, I think it might. Going back to Tommy, I've got one last question regarding, um, you know, the, the surgery. And based on, you know, this podcast, we, we talk about injuries uh, for baseball players, and we talk about the rehab process and kind of, you know, what the general person might not expect from the particular rehab process. Can you go into a little bit of depth, um, you know, regarding your recovery after surgery? My recovery? Yeah. Or, you know, just in general, the year off, you know, when you were rehabbing your elbow. Well, you know, when it was uh, over, I, I, you know, I thought three or four weeks, five weeks, and I kept asking Dr. Joe, when, when could I start throwing? When could I start throwing? He said, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. I'll let you know. And um, it was 16 weeks, four months after his surgery. He said, okay, now you can start throwing. And um, I was never a big believer until then. I thought that there were only so many bullets in the, in the gun on your shoulder. And that when you use those bullets up, you were done. Well, when I came back to rehab, the only thing that we knew back then in 1975 was to get your arm strong, you threw a baseball. You 
didn't lift weights. You didn't do all this stuff. You didn't do bands. You didn't do that. You just you threw a baseball. Now we did weights uh, for you know for your shoulder and all that, but um, I I started doing uh, and Tommy will tell you I I do a three movement deltoid or I did. Uh, Mike Marshall showed it to me, and um, it it was a three movement deltoid, and that's all I did for the rest. And I would do. Two, three, four hundred reps a day, and I would throw a baseball. Now, would I would I pitch? No, I threw a baseball. I just threw, and I threw off the mound. And nobody told me to, but my reasoning was this: the mound was my office, and if I wanted to get better, I had to spend more time in my office. So I threw off the mound to a catcher. And I just threw. I didn't pitch. I didn't throw curveballs. I didn't do that. I just threw. Because if I couldn't throw a, a sinker, it didn't make any difference if I had a good curveball or not. I'm, I'm toast. So I didn't start working on my curveball until oh, maybe the end of August. And I was going to start in the instructional league in, uh, at the end of September in, in 75. And I, I pitched in a ball game in the instructional league one year, one day after surgery. And um, I pitched three innings. I threw 39 pitches in three innings, and I wanted to go on. And they said, well, no, we, we had you for 60 pitches. I said, but I haven't used my 60 pitches. Well, it was either three innings or 60 pitches. And, I and you know, okay, all right, but I haven't done – well, you've done your three innings. All right. So I – but that's what I did. I just threw a ball, and from that time on, until I until I quit in 1989, every time I was on the baseball field, I threw every day off the mound to a catcher. Day after I pitched, you know, oh God, my arms a little sore, the shoulders stiff and tight. I throw a baseball, nice and light, and I would get it loose, and then when I felt like I could start throwing. I could start throwing harder. Uh, that's when I shut it down. The second day was a work day. The third day was a work day. The fourth day was just a little work out day. Uh, just threw a little bit. And that's what I did for the rest of my career. Now, is it right? Is it wrong? It was right for me because in 13 years after surgery, I never missed a start. Never, never missed a start in 13 years, and I won 164 ball games. So, something we did back then is better than what they're doing now. You guys still there? Yeah, 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 right here. Okay, cut out for a, <clears throat> excuse me, cut out for a second there on my end, um, Doctor John. Going going back to you. Um, yeah. Typically, I mean, when when you get an athlete that that comes in, obviously you're talking about building on on kind of that nice solid foundation. Um, yeah. 
if you get a guy who's buying into buying into the process and then just is hitting snags along the way and isn't quite progressing quite as quickly as they would like and getting to, to the level of performance that they want to, how, how do you typically handle that situation uh, kind of from a practitioner standpoint uh, to encourage these guys and gals that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, uh, but it's just a process and we kind of got to stay the course. That's such a great question. Um, and here's, here's the answer because if we try to put a human being inside a box, that's where we get into trouble, in my opinion, is where we try to put them into uh, I don't like time frames. I know that that's how society works and teams work and contracts work, but when it comes to healing, the body will finish healing when it's in, in the right environment, when it's done, basically. And if it's in a better environment, it'll do it a little more efficiently than in a more antagonistic environment. I had a guy, as an example, and this is what I tell people, I had a guy as an example, uh, appendix surgery, you know, I'm going through my exam, all this, and he's 70 plus years old and his appendix scar is gone. And I'm like, whoa, there you go. And he's like, what? I'm like, you had your appendix out when you were 13 years old, the scar is gone. So the body finished doing what it did. It just took about 60 years to complete the job. And he's like, oh, look at that. And he didn't even know. So that's the thing. It took Tommy John one 12 months in one day. It might take somebody 20 months if doing everything that the three of us are saying or the four of us are saying and doing everything possible. That's why I try to say, like, the body is on its own time. It knows more than any educated person will ever know. Stay with it. Hold true because everything you're doing is ideal. Everything you're doing is working is working you will come back you will heal because that's the body's job is to adapt to its environment if we can create a stimulus greater than the stimulus that created the injury in the first place you're good and there's a guarantee in that just like gravity it's guaranteed whether anybody's going to write a paper on it to knock it or do whatever it doesn't matter just stay this and i always say the great ones like my father they do things. They, everybody wants to know the thing. What, what, what's the thing you guys did? What, what do you do? And they ask Jeter and Tom Brady and everybody who's just excelled year in, year out. Kobe, who repeats it. The flames, I don't really care about. The ones that stay there, those are the ones. Tiger Woods. If we look at what they do on a daily basis, it's just a, a culmination of a bunch of boring things. It's, a, it's thousands of these really boring things. And everyone's like, wait, really? That's all you do? Well, yeah, that's all they do all the time, all day, every day. And so I think there's power in that. So regardless of what the athlete's got or whoever's walking through or age or sex or sport or whatever the severity of the injury was, it's the mundane acts done on a daily basis that create the masterpiece. It's the bunch of brushstrokes on an art piece. If it was one stroke, the thing would, would just be a stroke on a canvas. But it's a thousands of these things put together that will come together at some point when the body's ready. So we got to understand that the body is on its own time. Um, and for sure, it's human nature, right, guys, to have this, like, psychological setback. That's why I think it's even more phenomenal what my dad did, because there was nobody to compare it to, which is kind of a good and bad. But there were, had to be demons running through where he's like, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't imagine the psychological um, component, not just from injury, but from the injury that he went through and the surgery that he went through. And now we're seeing it with 
the emotional stability of these kids coming in at 10 to 18 years old. And the three of us as professionals are trying to get them to trust the process and they don't know how to stand on one leg and tie their shoes. So it's, it's, you know, that, that's my big thing is just bodies on its own time. We trust that a lot of times that's when miracles happen. I just call them expectations. I mean, I think you bring up a good point about going kind of back to the basic and kind of mundane activities that, that are very simplistic because I think we live in a society in a world today that everybody wants the thing, the, the, the trendy activity or the, the, the trendy treatment technique that may not necessarily be basic and foundational to get them to point B from point A as quickly and as, as fast as they can. And I mean, as, as you mentioned, when we neglect this early stuff in that foundation, um, this other stuff. I mean, we may not get where we want to go. Um, and so I think there's a huge educational piece, like we talked about earlier, really making sure we're all on, on the same page and trusting the process and say, hey, I mean, you really got to put in the time and the work and the effort early on here, uh, kind of rethink what you're doing, as you mentioned in your book, to kind of get to that. Right. Right. I love it. I love it. So, Drew, I'm going I'm to toss things back over to you here. Uh, we'll, we'll wrap up here with one final question. We'll get these gentlemen on their way, and then, then we'll chat a little bit of uh, Major League Baseball injuries here. To be frank with you, I, I asked all my questions. I got done. I just want to thank you guys uh, yeah. for coming on. And, and to be honest, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a lot of the information that you guys presented, and, and I'm going to implement it coming Monday when I step into the clinic. It was really refreshing to hear some new ideas and, and, and actually some vintage ideas, you know, from the past that, you know, maybe I can bring back and, and, you know, work into some of my treatment ideas. Ancient wisdom, baby. Never <laughs> fails. <laughs> All right. So with that, we're going to wrap up our interview here with uh, Tommy John and Dr. Tommy John. Uh, be sure to follow both of these guys on Twitter. Uh, Dr. John can be found at Dr. Tommy John DC and Tommy John can be found at Tommy John Two eight eight, um, gentlemen. Do you guys have any final thoughts? Actually, if I could say a place to uh, find the book, there's a nice book landing page that I made. It's kind of, it's kind of cool. It's called DontCutMyKid.com. It was a, a nice catchy name there. Perfect. Um, and that's where you can find Perfect. find all the details on it, how to get it. Awesome. So uh, again, Dr. John's book is entitled Minimize Injury, Maximize Performance. I believe this came out at the beginning of June. Uh, again, I've, I've started to read it. It's been a great read so far, and I'm excited to read the rest of it. So uh, don't cut my here for Dr. John's book. Uh, again, thank you to you both for taking time out of your busy schedules to come on and chat here with the fantasy doctors. Uh, and hopefully we'll chat again soon. Guys, I appreciate it. And thanks for helping us out with our mission, all right? Thank you. Not a problem. Take care, gentlemen. Again, thank you very much to Dr. Tommy John and Tommy John for joining us. We we just had a wonderful discussion there about the injury uh, epidemic in, in youth. Dr. Tommy John's new book, and we have to reminisce about uh, the playing days with Dr. Tommy John, or not Dr. Tommy John, but Tommy John rather. Uh, Drew, he Tommy John uh, didn't like one of your questions there. Yeah, I mean, he was old school. He just said, "Throw the ball." I mean, you know. I mean, I pitch, I pitch, you know, I don't care about the, you know, the, the sinker, the curveball, just throw the ball. Loved it. I mean, it was pretty, it was, it was I mean, it was, I think it was really cool to hear about his kind of training regimen after, after he, he had the surgery. He said, I mean, he did two to 300 deltoid raises and then he just go out and pitch. I mean, it, it, it's, it's neat to see how, 
how the times have changed since when he had the procedure to when it's being performed nowadays. Sometimes I suppose simpler can be better, right? You know, we get fancy when we practice and we try a little bit of everything. And, you know, sometimes if we just dumb it down, um, you know, to the essentials, uh, things work out all right. I mean, you see it a lot that people try and reinvent the wheel almost. And we were kind of talking about with Dr. John a little bit earlier that the the foundational components are, are are so essential. And and if you're missing on that, then you're just setting these kids up for almost failure and, and all sorts of injury issues. So uh, definitely refreshing and encouraging to hear Dr. John's perspective as well as, as Tommy uh, kind of talking a little bit about what he went through with the, the Tommy John surgery that he had performed and kind of how he, he got back to prolong his career for another 13 years after he had the procedure. Yeah, if you have, you know, any of you guys listen and have young kids, it's definitely a worthwhile read. Uh, you know, it just kind of gives you some insight about, um, you know, why are we doing the things that we're doing? And um, so I, I would give it a read. It's It's pretty neat. Yeah, so again, uh, Dr. John mentioned it. Uh, again, the, the book is entitled Minimize Injury and Maximize Performance. And you can found, find that on don'tcutmykid.com, uh, essentially uh, a, a plea against the Tommy John surgery and the Tommy John procedure for, uh, for our youth. With that, we're going to move here into our injury review, uh, talking here about Clay Buckholtz for the Diamondbacks dealing with some side and oblique tightness. He was diagnosed with a left oblique strain back on June 25th, and per the most recent update, he threw three innings in a simulated game on July 13th, and the team indicates he is nearing a rehab assignment. He's only pitched in and started seven games for the club this season, so he hasn't been all that available uh, for the Diamondbacks, but it sounds like he's getting close to his return. Gary Sanchez, who we hit on a little bit earlier, uh, dealing with that groin strain, Drew, how's he coming along? Yeah, so they projected him at a more lengthy, um, you know, time frame just for the grade one. So they they labeled him out as four weeks. Uh, so he he injured this the the groin prior to the All Star break. He rehabbed and in, in AAA during the All Star break. He actually went up against uh, Irvin Santana, the pitcher for the Minnesota Twins, who is coming back from I believe uh, some finger issues. Uh, but Gary, he actually hit. A couple home runs in his uh, rehab gains, so he is looking at a return for potentially this weekend, if not this weekend, early next week. I mean, he'll be a good bat to get back in the lineup. Obviously, he hasn't been producing too well this season, but he he's a guy that when he gets going, and you look at that lineup already with, with, with the weapons that they have, if he gets going, I mean, watch out for New York. Yeah, and I'm going to mention a little bit later, uh, you know, the Yankees have fallen a little bit back in the AL East. He sure will bring them back up to speed against Boston. Well, with another shoot from one superstar to the next here, Chris Bryant for the Cubs, we talked about in episode eight a couple weeks ago, was dealing with some shoulder left shoulder inflammation. He was placed on the DL back on the 26th of June, which was retro to the 23rd. Um, he went through batting practice on July 3rd and felt some additional discomfort, and so they kind of held back on things a little bit. Um, he was initially scheduled to be activated on July 4th, which was pushed back uh, just by a couple of days. He has since returned from the disabled list and hasn't really had a whole lot of trouble. Uh, he's got five hits and 18 at-bats, recording a hit in all five of his appearances since coming off the disabled list. Uh, so good news here for Bryant. 
Um, the key here with the shoulder inflammation is that the, that the team needed to make sure that they address the source of his inflammation to really make sure they get this thing right and get him going in the right direction. So mm-hmm. all systems go here for Chris Bryant as he's made his return successfully from the disabled list for the Cubs. Another big name, Drew, that we seem, we, seems like he comes up every, every episode is Shohei Otani. He was dealing with that grade two UCL sprain, and I believe last we spoke, he had he was still on the DL, and they were trying to figure out what they wanted to do with him in terms of bringing him back or keeping him on the DL in, in his elbow issue. So the direction that they're going is, you know, they still want to continue him as the DH hitter. Um, and some some actually more recent news, uh, Dr. Stephen Yu, who's been kind of handling the elbow, has allowed him to start throwing. Um, and he's actually thrown from 60 feet. Um, just kind of keep that in mind. He had a, a PRP injection, which is a platelet-rich plasma. Essentially, it can help you know decrease some of the inflammation and allow some of the, ten- the, the structures to heal uh, in a quicker time frame. Uh, six weeks ago, um, you, we mentioned uh, Garrett Richards, the other pitcher for the Angels. He had uh, an injection to his elbow, which required 13 weeks to stay out. So, you know, Otani's cutting that in half with six weeks. He's starting to throw. The Angels are are cautiously optimistic to potentially bring him back for mid-September. But ultimately, I think they want to figure out, is this elbow going to need surgery by October so that if he does need surgery, um, they'll have him back for 2020. Uh, so essentially, we've been kind of talking all along that He's more than likely going to need surgery, but the Angels have been very resistant in, in you know, coming to that conclusion yet. It may be a tough blow for them. I mean, from a, from a pitcher standpoint, yes, but, I mean, if he undergoes surgery, then you lose his bat as well. So <laughs> it's kind of a, a double-edged sword here on what you want to do. But, at the, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, Drew, you know, working in the, in the medical field, you got to keep the best interest of the patient, and in this case, the player, sure. in mind and their long-term health. Yeah, and, and, and it, might, it might play – it might come down to how well he's hitting, for one, uh, and, you know, and depending on how he's rehabbing, too. Um, so, you know, it, it, I could envision if he's just tearing it up at the plate, they just stick with him at DH and, you know, they might say just scrap pitching for a little bit and and then kind of, you know, roll the dice and see how he, he handles, you know, uh, the offseason. Uh, but only time will tell with, with Otani right now. So hopefully everything pans out okay, but certainly not. Anytime you're dealing with an elbow of a pitcher, I mean, everybody's ears perk up. And so hopefully nothing hopefully nothing severe happens that he needs surgery and he's able to continue on, but not looking too good. Mm-hmm. Um, Jorge Soler for the Royals fractured his first metatarsal in his foot. Uh, he kind of stepped wrong out of the batter's box. He was placed on the disabled list on June 17th, and the team was expecting six weeks on the shelf here, so that pegs things in early August. He's continuing to progress as expected. He hasn't hit any snags as of yet, so uh, just needing to allow adequate time for bone healing to occur so that metatarsal can be rock solid as, as he gears up to potentially make an early August return. Moving on to the quick hit section, uh, chatting about the, our disabled list counter here. Coming in here for episode nine with the most disabled list days is the Washington Nationals for the second episode in a row with 1,031 total days lost due to injury on the disabled list. Drew, I asked you last episode, I'm going to ask you again, how much money do you think that equates to here for the guys 
uh, that they're paying out to on the DL? Well, I think we said 25 mil last time, and that was two weeks ago. Uh, 30 million? Yeah, so I mean, you're, you're close. I mean, we're averaging about a mil a week, so we're at 27 and a half this week, which every time we, t- we talk about this, it continues to, to blow my mind about these guys just going through rehab and bringing in a nice, hefty paycheck. So um, <laughs> for the least, or excuse me, the most disabled list stints, uh, we talked about the Angels early, earlier. They have, have a total of 23 total disabled list placements, which, again, not a category that you want to be leading baseball in. As far as the least disabled list days and the least disabled list stints, those uh, that crown belongs both to the Houston Astros with 389 total days lost due to injury and not only nine total disabled list stints. So Astros looking good with regards to the injury department. Nationals and Angels, not so good. Uh, speaking of not so good and good, Drew, we're going to move on here to who's hot and who's not. Uh, I mean, you kind of led up to uh, – I'm going to start with the AL West. Houston, they're sitting in first place right now. Uh, you know, they're five games up against Seattle. Uh, Cleveland has still been in the driver's seat in the AL Central. They're seven and a half games up. And then Boston is kind of, you know, uh, pulling away just a little bit at least. They're four and a half games up against New York. So if we look at the wild card spots, we've got the Yankees and then uh, the Mariners rounding that out. Uh, and then we, if we move to the NL, we've got the Philadelphia Phillies taking the AL East currently. They're only, I believe, a half game up against the uh, Atlanta Braves. You've got the Chicago Cubs taking the AL, or excuse me, NL Central, and they're, I believe, two and a half above the Milwaukee Brewers. The Braves and the Brewers currently hold the wild card spots. And then if we round that out to the NL West, we've got the Dodgers in first place. Finally, they're a half game above the Arizona Diamondbacks. And if we move to the player positions, who's hot, who's not, we'll start off with who's hot. We've got Jose Peraza, the you know kind of do-it-all um, player for the Cincinnati Reds. Of his past 15 at-bats, he's got 11 hits. I'd say that's hot. And then uh, we move to your Cleveland Indians, Jose Ramirez. He's He's been on fire the whole season. Uh, seven for his past 13, including two home runs, five RBIs. And then the big surprise. You ready for this, Brandon? Let's hear it. Drum roll, please. Cole Calhoun. There he is. He finally made it to the hot section. Um, he's been killing it since coming back from that uh, little rehab sent in AAA. I believe he's hit eight or nine home runs in the month of June, including uh, three over the past week. Uh, I'm glad he's found his swing. So maybe he listens to the podcast and he heard, he heard that we were going to put him on the who's not name and rename it Cole Calhoun and took offense to it. Unlikely, but possible. So moving on to the who's that list, maybe these guys will listen. Uh, we've got Delito DeShields Jr. He's in a in a slump. He's 0 for his past 28. Uh, so he can only get better from here. Uh, and then we've got Brad Miller, the utility guy for the Milwaukee Brewers. He's 2 for his past 25, but that does include 14 strikeouts. So that's not ideal. And then lastly, we've got, I believe, a former Indian, Carlos Santana, currently playing uh, first base for, or uh, he's playing for the Philadelphia Phillies. I'm not sure first base right now because he got Rice Hawkins. But he's four for his past 39, so that takes that to a 103 average, which is not ideal. Yikes. 
You could say I've that seen again. a lot of uh, a lot of Indians fans on Twitter who initially were upset about the loss of Santana, but I mean, with the season he's having, uh, we've got Alonzo now, which which has been a breath of fresh air here for the tribe. You just thinking forward here to the. You got it. Thinking forward here to the to the second half of the season, Drew. We kind of chatted earlier that it's hard to believe that the season's already more than halfway done. Um, it's it's sure shaping up to have a lot of good division races, minus the AL Central. A uh, little whoa, plug in there whoa. for my Cleveland Indians. I still think the Minnesota Twins are coming. Seven yeah, I mean, you had that bold pre- you had that bold prediction last week, and I had the bold prediction that uh, that Otani would pitch again this year. So maybe they both come to fruition. But nonetheless, the second half of baseball is always an exciting time. You got the, you got the trade deadline here coming up. In the next week and a half, uh, some teams already starting to make some move. We saw Machado go to the Dodgers. Mm. Uh, my Indians made a move to pick up Brad Hand. So the hot stove is heating up, uh, and it's always one of the most exciting time of years. Mm-hmm. Drew, do you have any uh, final commentary? No, like I said last time, it'll be interesting to see if the Tigers make any moves. Uh, you know, uh, Dombrowski, the GM for the Boston Red Sox, might be calling up. Uh, uh, Mr. Avila, the GM for the uh, Detroit Tigers, asking about some catchers that might be available. So, uh, if you if if that happens, you heard it here first. All right, folks. With that, you heard that here first. You can mark that down from the MLB Fantasy Doctors Major League Baseball podcast. Drew Ingles with the call there. Uh, with that, we're going to thank each and every one of you for listening this evening. We had a wonderful time and a wonderful discussion with Dr. Tommy John and Tommy John uh, earlier in the show. Uh, so, again, we, we appreciate each and every one of you. Please be sure to follow uh, the Fantasy Doctors on Twitter at the Fantasy DRS, myself at BLBowers12, Drew at Drew Ingles. Ingles is spelled I N G E L S. So, please be sure to do that. Be sure to check out the Fantasy Doctors website, www.thefantasydoctors.com. And always, every week that we put out a podcast, download and review the show on iTunes. With that, we will be back here in a couple of weeks, two weeks from tonight. We'll, we will be recording our next episode. Uh, as of right now, we don't have any uh, a guest joining us, so it'll be business as usual. But again, thank you big time out to Dr. Tommy John and Tommy John for joining us, joining us this evening. With that, for the Fantasy Doctors and Dr. Physical Therapy, Drew Ingalls, I am Dr. Physical Therapy, Brandon Bowers, and we will talk to you next time. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.